Well, good morning. Now, you guys would pay hundreds of dollars to sit in the front row. <laughs> Except when you come to church. Hmm. Let's ponder that for a few moments. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? All right, it's our time for our annual Thanksgiving survey. How many of you had turkey? How many of you had something other than turkey? A few of you. How many men or women, I'm sorry, men or women, fried a turkey? Really? Just a couple of you. How many of the men who fried a turkey, your wives made a backup turkey? <laughs> wow, I'm the only one. <laughs> How many of you had um, the sweet potatoes with the marshmallows all over them? Yeah. How many of you had, my favorite, green bean casserole? <laughs> Come on, let's hear it, green bean casserole fans. How many of you had the cranberry that comes out of the can and still has the grooves in the can? <laughs> Couple of you? How many of you had homemade cranberry sauce? Yeah, okay. Pumpkin pie? Cool whip with pumpkin pie? How many of you had uh, pecan pie? Wow, a lot of you. How many of you, you went somewhere, like you went to somebody else's house or you traveled for Thanksgiving? Quite a few of you. How many of you had family or friends come and visit you for Thanksgiving? How many of you are glad they've left? <laughs> how, how many of you, your, uh, your favorite football team, pro or college, how many of them won? <laughs> Hook'em horns? Any Raider fans in the room? I'm not going to say anything. Just, this is church, and I'm going to be nice. Well, it's good to have you all here today. Hey, I want to take the opportunity to invite you to something. If you're new to our church, we, uh, you know, our church is getting larger now. It's harder to meet everybody, and I really enjoy getting to meet folks and hear a little bit about their story. And so there's a thing that we do once each month. We host dinner. For folks who are new to Cibolo Creek, we have a wonderful dinner that's served up at uh, Fair Oaks Ranch Country Club. And um, so if you're new to Cibolo Creek, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, any time this year, and you um, maybe have some questions about our church, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, or just meet some other folks who are new to Cibolo Creek, we would love to host you for dinner. Our dinner's uh, going to be held, hosted next Sunday, December 3rd. And um, we'd love for you to sign up and be a part of that. And uh, there's information in your copy of The Creek this morning where you can register to be a part of that dinner. And uh, we actually made an arrangement to have room for some extra folks. Join us for our Christmas dinner. And so we still have some room. And we would love for you to come and join us to be a part of that. Make sense? 
So it's only been seven days since we were here last, but because there was a holiday, it seems like it's been seven months since we were here last. So just for the sake of the discussion, let me kind of set the stage about where we are. So all year, 2023, we've been talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century? And we've been looking at it from three different dimensions. We spent the first part of the year talking about spending time with Jesus. Like how do we get to know him and how do we give him the opportunity to get to know us? Then we spent the summer looking at becoming more like Jesus, looking at his character traits and his attitudes and asking ourselves in what way do we reflect the life of Jesus in our life. And then this fall, we've been exploring this idea of doing what Jesus did. And we're looking at like patterns from Jesus's life that are um, demonstrated throughout the story of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here's what we've highlighted as kind of the five priorities of Jesus' life. Now, were there more? Sure. But these are the five that we chose to focus on. Jesus served people in need. He connected with family, not just those who were his immediate relatives, but those who shared faith in a pursuit of God. Um, Jesus shared God's truth with anybody that would listen he mentored others in their faith, and this is what we're looking at right now. And then we'll spend the last two Sundays of our um, series talking about Jesus made sacrifices for the good of others. But right now we want to talk a little bit more about this idea that Jesus mentored others in their faith. And last week, if you were here, I was sharing you with, with you the idea that Christianity is a pay-it-forward kind of faith. Or... In other words, Christ followers are to be pay-it-forward kind of Christians. That as we have been the recipients of God's grace, then when we're gracious to other people, we're paying it forward. As we've been the recipient of God's mercy, then when we show other people mercy in our relationship with them, then we're paying it forward. We've been the recipient of God's outrageous forgiveness. So when we are forgiving of others, we are paying it forward. But there's also another dimension about what it means to be a pay it forward kind of faith. And that is the idea that as God has been at work in our lives as Christians, then we pay it forward by helping other people understand the work of God in their life. And probably the, the premier passage of scripture that this is a kind of um, demonstrated to us is in Matthew chapter 28, Christ has been... Um, He's been crucified. He resurrects from the dead. A few days later, he's meeting with his disciples and he makes this simple command or simple instruction to them. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. Now, there's more to this, this verse of scripture. Go make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And then Jesus gives his disciples a promise that as long as you're busy doing those things, making disciples, I will be with you. So today I, I want to explore this idea of going and making disciples. My wife and I, we, uh, we just bought a new house new to us about three years ago. The house that we lived in previously, uh, we lived in for almost nine, uh, 20 years. 
raised our boys there right across the street from Fair Oaks Ranch Elementary School. It was the first house that I'd ever lived in that had a water softener. And this particular water softener was very temperamental. And it seemed to always be breaking down. And so I would call the number on, you know, on the, the element there. And um, the guy would always tell me, sure, I'd come out. I'd be happy to come out and check out your water softener. But um, it'll be $85 just for me to come. Now, I understand that. I understand you got to pay for gas and maintenance on the vehicle and the time of the servicemen, but it didn't mean I had to like it. So that water softener and having to pay $85 every time the guy came out to service it was the impetus for me to finally get off the dime. You see, for years, I'd always been one of, I had always wanted to be one of those people who could fix my own stuff, who could do my own repairs, who could maintain my own home. The problem was is I, I, I didn't have any knowledge about it. I didn't have any experience. I, really, I didn't really have the tools for it. I just wasn't any good at it. I could do some things, but it seemed like it always went from bad to worse. And after about 30 trips to Home Depot, I'd finally get it done, but I just wasn't very good at it. And so I was sharing with a friend this idea that I wanted to become more of a, a handyman. Now, it was great because this particular gentleman, he's really, really good at that kind of stuff. He has all the tools. He knows how to use them. He has all kinds of experience and understanding about the way things work. And he was retired. And so I asked him if he could maybe help me. And I'm not exaggerating. For the next 15 years, there weren't many Fridays that he and I didn't get together to work on a project around my house. Now, he was retired. Friday was my day off. So we'd find a project to do, and some projects could be done in a couple of hours. Some projects might take a couple of weeks, and we'd just sort of, um, you know, span it over the time. But over that time, I started to learn something. Now, he was a great teacher. He was a wonderful mentor. He, um, he helped me understand things that I didn't understand. He was great about answering questions because I'm a very curious person and I ask a lot of questions and he would explain them very, very patiently. He coached me through what I needed to do time and time again. He showed me how to do something and then he'd hand me the tools and he'd give me the opportunity to try stuff and he helped me acquire the tools that I needed to get better at it all. And over the 15 years, I developed a little bit of skill and a little bit of experience, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of tools and became much more proficient than I'd ever been. You make sense? So over the last 10 years or so, I'm sure I've saved literally thousands and thousands of dollars repairing appliances and repairing automobiles and repairing plumbing and electricity and other home improvements and landscaping around our house. We remodeled a master bathroom. I've remodeled two um, sculpting studios for me to work out of. And I have learned a lot of things that I never, ever knew before. How did I get there? Over time, how did I get there? And it's basically this. 
A friend took an interest in what I needed help with. A friend got involved and a friend helped how he could. Make sense? And I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that here in a few moments. So for 15 years, I was an apprentice and I was being mentored by somebody who was just a bit more capable than I was. And I learned and I grew and I changed. Now, you understand that. We're familiar with that sort of development that happens when somebody entrusts to, to you something that they understand and they're able to do. But why is it then that many Christians, when God asks them, when Jesus asks them to do something, for some reason we just feel like we can't do that. And I want to talk about that today. Jesus says to Christians, go make disciples. In my experience with being a pastor for 35 years now, my experience is that most Christians read that instruction and immediately think, well, I can't do that. I, I, I can't make disciples. Evidently, Jesus is talking to somebody else. He's not talking to me. And I've listened to excuses and explanations for why people think I, I, I could never make disciples. And, the, and those explanations tend to go along this line. Well, well I, I don't know enough about my own faith to be helping somebody else with theirs. There's so many questions I have and, and some doubts that I have and things that I just don't understand. So how could I ever help somebody else become a follower of Jesus? People also say this. They say, well, you know, Paul, I just don't know enough about my Bible. I'd never be able to answer questions that people have or explain like the truths that, that followers of Jesus would need to understand. I, I can't do that. I just don't know them myself. I've met a lot of people who've said along the ways, they've said, Paul, the truth is, at times I'm a really lousy Christian myself. I don't always make good choices. And I got these things in my life that I still wrestle with. And I, I don't think that I'm qualified really to be a good Christ follower, let alone help somebody else in following Christ. And what I want to do today is I want to help every single one of you in this room who is a Christian to understand that you too can do what Jesus asked when he said, go make disciples. I want to give you three reasons why I think that every Christian in this room can do what Jesus asked about going and making disciples of other people. Would you at least listen? Would you at least consider the three reasons that I have? That was a response question. I think the first one's the most important one. 
The first reason why I think that every single one of you in this room can do what Jesus asked when he asked us to go make disciples. The first reason is this, that I doubt Jesus would have asked you to do it if he didn't think you could. I doubt Jesus would have asked you to go make disciples if he didn't think you could. You say, well, he didn't really say that to me. He was saying that to the disciples. Like the 12. Yeah, so stop and think about that. When Jesus said, go make disciples to the disciples, they were like a week removed. They were like a week removed from the fact that every one of those disciples abandoned Jesus in the hour of his greatest need. In fact, one of them swore that he didn't even know Jesus. And a week later, Jesus is saying to those same guys who abandoned him, go make disciples. I don't think he would have asked them that if he didn't think they could. If you're a Christian in this room here today, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. You've invited him to be the Lord of your life. You've made a commitment to follow Jesus. Do you understand that you wouldn't be here today if those original 11 disciples to whom Jesus gave that command, if they hadn't done what he had instructed? If they hadn't turned around and gone to make disciples, then the story of the gospel would have never been passed forward, passed on. It never would have been paid forward for a time in your life where you came to understand about Jesus and what it means to have a relationship with him. You and I are sitting here today because the guys that Jesus gave that instruction to originally did what he asked. The entire future of the gospel for our world is now dependent on you and I as disciples of Jesus in the 21st century, taking his instruction and paying it forward, making other disciples of the people that God gives us the opportunity to influence. Let's, we hear this word make disciples. We, we hear the word discipleship or discipling. Let me, let's, let's just take some of the mystery out of it. Discipling is the act of paying forward the work God has done in your life by investing in the work that God is doing in another person's life. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is mentoring another person in how to follow Jesus. Another way to say it, discipleship is one Christ follower joining another Christ follower on the journey of following Jesus. And yet most Christians who attend church from Sunday to Sunday cannot see themselves as discipling another person to become a follower of Jesus. The typical response is, other than I don't understand enough about my Bible or I'm not enough good enough Christian to do that. The typical response is, well, Paul, that's, that's for people like you. That's for people like, you know, missionaries. That's for people like, you know, really veteran Christians who've been around the church all their life and they know all the answers to all the questions. Those are the people that Jesus was talking to when he said, go make disciples. That's not me. And I'd say... 
I don't think that's true. I don't think Jesus would have asked you to make disciples if he didn't think you could do it. Which brings me to the second reason why I think everyone in the room can do it. The second reason is I think we have a great misunderstanding of who the disciples were. I want to tell you that the disciples, they were not spiritual giants. They were not theological scholars. And they were not religious bigwigs. In fact, just the opposite. You just read the Gospels, honestly. Look at the disciples. They had all sorts of questions. They debated who Jesus was up until the time that he was resurrected from the dead. They had all sorts of questions. They were full of all sorts of doubt. Jesus over and over again says to his disciples, guys, why such little faith? Because they weren't spiritual giants. They were blue collar guys with a kind of spiritual newbies at the best. Do you, do you remember how the disciples became the disciples of Jesus? He went and he chose them. That was out of the ordinary. And where did he choose them? He chose them from the trades. They were fishermen and carpenters. One of them was a tax collector, was essentially a criminal. You see, it was unusual for a rabbi to choose his disciples. Typically what happened in first century culture, the disciple prospective disciple would come to the rabbi and ask if he could be one of the disciples. But Jesus went and he chose his, and he chose them from the trades. That's a very interesting fact. Do you know anything about the first century Jewish school system? Well, this is going to be a very simplistic explanation, not because you're simple, because I don't want to get bogged down in it. But essentially... First century educational system had three experiences, which we would probably describe in, again, a very simplistic way. Elementary, junior, high, junior senior high school, and something akin to college. But I'll, I'll just tell you that in the first century Jewish academia, college would have been more on the par with something like a master's degree study or a doctoral study. Is a pretty steep educational requirement. And here's how it worked. In the first century, little Jewish boys and girls would go to the first experience. And they would learn the basics about how to read from the, Jewish, uh, the Hebrew scriptures. They would learn the basics of Jewish faith. And they would learn the important truths of Jewish law. At the end of that first experience, Jewish girls were not allowed to continue into the second phase of study. Don't start with me. I didn't make the rules, okay? Different culture, different time, different society. They were invited to go home and begin learning the domestic responsibilities of a Jewish household. Little boys, they were allowed to into the second experience of study, but the requirements were pretty steep. In fact, part of the requirements to pass that second level of study is that little Jewish boys had to be able to memorize 
the first five books of the Jewish scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, have it completely memorized and be able to answer any question about it from at any point in the discussion. The, the, the rabbi who was teaching them could say, tell me what Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 8 says, and they'd have to be able to call it up immediately and begin a theological discussion about the truths contained. So consequently, a lot of Jewish young men weren't invited into the third experience. What happened to them? They were sent home to learn their father's trade. If their dad was a fisherman, they became fishermen. If their dad was a baker, they became bakers. If their dad was a farmer or rancher, they became farmers or ranchers. The third level of study was for the best of the best, the best and the brightest, the cream of the crop. And those young men would be required for graduation. They would be required to memorize the entire Old Testament. So where did Jesus find his disciples? Among the fishermen. So they weren't academic scholars. They didn't have what it takes to become a rabbi. They were washouts. Those are the young men that Jesus invested his life in for three years and then gave them these instructions. I want you to now pay it forward. I want you to go and make disciples like I have helped develop you. You see, the disciples, they were a lot just like you and me. Everyday people with everyday kinds of questions and doubts and fears and a lack of understanding about so many things. And yet Jesus entrusted the whole future of the gospel to those young men. So the first reason why I think every one of us in this room can make disciples is because I don't think Jesus would have asked you if he didn't think you could do it. The second reason I think that every one of us in this room is because every one of us in this room are more like the disciples than we might have ever imagined before. But let me give you a third reason. The third reason is because it's so simple. In fact, I want to show you how to disciple another person in two easy steps. Anyone interested? I mean, two easy steps. How hard can that be, right? You ready? All right, to do that, I have to ask you some questions. And when I ask you these questions, I need some audience participation. That means you're going to raise your hand if any part of the question I ask is true of you. Does it make sense? Don't stonewall me. <laughs> Inevitably, when I ask people to participate, there's always one or two people go, nope, not going to do it. Well, I'll just warn you right now. If you give me this... I'm going to call you out. <laughs> it's what Jesus would do, I'm sure. Okay, you ready? Couple simple questions. You guys ready? First question is this. Do you drink coffee, tea, hot chocolate, soda, milkshake, smoothies, or beer? Let me see. All right, that looks like every hand in the room. Now, here's the deal. I, I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee. I don't like the smell of coffee. 
only had one cup of coffee in my life, that was one too many. Now, I drink tea. I prefer it cold and sweet. But my favorite is milkshakes. You want to get together sometime? Sure, invite me out to coffee, but let's go get milkshakes instead. It'll be better. You want to hear the recipe for a great milkshake? You can get them at Baskin Robbins or a number of other places. But here you ask them to take an ample amount of orange sherbet. It's sherbet, not sherbet. Orange sherbet and sweet cream vanilla ice cream. Vanilla will work, but sweet cream just makes it a little bit better. Have them make that into a milkshake. It's like drinking a dream sickle. It is so delicious. That's free. But every one of you raised your hand. Okay, next question. Do you eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, or dessert? Let me see your hands. Okay, that looks like everybody. Next question. Do you enjoy inviting people to your home? Or going to entertaining events like the, like the theater or concerts or movies. Or exploring local or regional places of interest. Do you like doing anything that looks like that? Okay, again, most of you have your hands up. Next question. Do you play golf, tennis, pickleball? Do you work out, run, ride bikes, rock climb, hunt fish, or some other kind of recreational activity? This is very, very promising. Do you like to cook up heaping helpings of delicious food to share with other people? Anybody? Do you have a hobby, a favorite thing to do, or a skill other people could use? How about this one? Do you go to church, attend Bible studies, or participate in a life group? If you don't have your hand up, you're sitting in church. <laughs> Do you do anything as a volunteer to help support a person, a group of people, maybe an organization or some sort of cause? Do you volunteer to help in any way? Human beings or animals? Do you volunteer? Okay. Do you read books, watch videos or listen to podcasts? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray? Do you listen to worship music? Do you ever fast? Do you ever practice Sabbath rest? Any of these things? Everyone's like, I better raise my hand. <laughs> None of them are true, but I don't want anyone to know that. <laughs> See, I told you you could do it. If you answered yes to any of those questions, you can do the first and most important step of discipling another person. You know what it is? You can build a relationship. The first step to having any kind of influence in another person's life is to build a relationship with them. 
And it's as simple as occasionally inviting another person to come along and do the things that you're already doing. It's as simple as going out to coffee or for milkshakes or cooking up some food or playing a round of golf or pickleball or tennis about going to the theater or a concert and taking somebody along with you. And in the process of doing these sorts of things together, a relationship can be built, a friendship could be established, and that is the beginning of helping to make disciples. In fact, discipleship that's done without a relationship with the person that you're seeking to help isn't really discipleship. Because the message of Jesus in the gospel and everything that Jesus invites us to essentially begins around relationship. Does that make sense? So by your own admission, by raising your hand, you're saying, I do some things. I could invite somebody to come along and do those things with me from time to time. It doesn't have to be all the time, but from time to time, inviting somebody else to come along, do the things I'm already doing in the hopes of building a relationship with them. And you've made the first step to doing what Jesus asked you to do when he said, go make disciples. You want to know what the second step is? It's really simple. Talk about Jesus. Build a relationship and get comfortable talking about Jesus. I call it normalizing discussions about faith. You spend enough time with somebody, you start introducing the topic of Jesus. And it may be awkward and it may be uncomfortable at first, but that's only because it's unfamiliar. But you do it more and little by little, it becomes a normal topic of discussion. And when I say talk about Jesus, I'm saying talk about Jesus with as much honesty as you possibly can come up with. One of the Ten Commandments is this, thou shalt not lie. If you look at the pattern of the teachings of scripture, not only are we not supposed to lie, we're supposed to be a people of truth. And part of being a people of truth is being authentic. It's like not living a lie, but actually just being who we are, honest in how we are. And so if your story of faith, if your journey of following Jesus is full of doubts and questions and reservations and resistance, and places where you mess up, then just be honest about that. Have those kinds of conversations with the person that you're building a relationship with. And I can guarantee you that nine times out of 10, they'll be sitting across the table from you enjoying the milkshake, thinking to themselves, I have doubts like that too. I have those same questions. Yeah, that's the same sort of stuff I don't get and I stumble through and and in building that sort of authenticity about your successes and your failures, your disagreements, your disillusionment, and being honest in the discussion about Jesus, then you're helping them take new or different steps in their own spiritual journey. 
You say, no, Paul, it can't be that easy. And here's why I think it can be that easy. Jesus said, where two or three get together for milkshakes in my name, there am I with them. Anytime that you build a relationship with somebody and introduce the discussion of faith, the discussion about Jesus, and you're authentic about it, what Jesus is saying, I'll be there. I'll do a work. I can start something that you can't even imagine in the life of another person just because you took two simple steps. You started a relationship and you introduced the topic of Jesus. Does that make sense? He wouldn't have asked you if he didn't think you could do it. You and I aren't any different than the disciples to whom he gave the instructions originally. And it's as simple as two easy steps. Build a relationship. Talk about Jesus. You still with me? Okay, listen. You and I. Every day we get out of bed. And we go about our lives. And all sorts of opportunities present themselves. Opportunities at work. Opportunities in our neighborhoods. Opportunities in the things that we do and the people that we meet. And our world, our culture, our society has all sorts of things that they want to promote as being important and valuable and it fuels our ambitions and our, our definition of success. And we chase after a lot of things that we think are really, really important. And Jesus said this. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Position. Title. Power, money, possessions. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It's temporary. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. In other words, store up for yourself those kinds of things in this life that will last for the next one. I'm 61 years old. College was 40 years ago. I'm like, how in the world did that happen? 40 years ago. And it's interesting, 40 years ago, there's a few things that I still remember the day that I learned them. I can still remember the day that two quotes marked my life. I've never forgotten them for as long as I've lived. One of them is the quote of a person and one of them is words from a song. The quote is from a guy named Jim Elliott. He was a missionary 
who went to Ecuador to try to reach a tribe of people who had never met anybody other than the people in their tribe. And the only encounters that they had had with people from outside their tribe had been violent. And Jim Elliott and a few of his other friends felt that God had called them to try to reach these Indians. And after years of preparation and months of an intentional outreach to try to connect with these people that lived in this tribe, Jim Elliott and four of his friends were killed. A few years before, he gave his life to try to reach this lost tribe of people. He wrote these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Money, houses, cars, fame, title, position, power, you can lose all of that. But there's some things that will last. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. The second is a phrase from a song that has played in my head and my heart for 40 years. On the many days that I've wanted to quit, it's these words that come back to me. And here's the line from that song. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. So I leave you with this. Of all of the greatest accomplishments that this world has to offer, there is nothing of greater eternal worth than investing in another person's soul. Do you get that? So someday you and I, we will stand before the living God. And if we could imagine, he might say something like this. How in the world did you get in here? And your answer will be this. A friend took interest. A friend got involved and a friend helped how he could. They just talked to me about Jesus. You'll be there because of that. I just wonder who else will be there because that friend who took an interest and got involved and helped how he could was you. Because you determined that as a disciple of Jesus, you would go and make disciples. Make sense? You guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. Let me ask you to stand. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, we're asking for your help. 
We're asking for your help that we would not be foolish with our life and hold on to things that won't last and give up the one thing in life that is eternal and that's the people that you've placed around us at home, in our neighborhoods, at work, the places where we run and we go. God, I ask that you do a work in all of our hearts to see that we are now your disciples of the 21st century and you've instructed us to help another person to become a follower of Jesus. Start a movement in the life of our church that every single Christian in the sound of my voice would find a friend and talk about faith and pay forward what it is that we've received. I pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks everybody for listening. If I haven't had the opportunity, please come up and introduce yourself following the service. I'd love to make your acquaintance.